Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 297, geez, of the Fun With Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 31, I believe we're at. I said 30, but I think it's 31 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who runs all of the Technica when it is related to autos, Jonathan Gitlin. Hey, John. Hey, Robin. How are you? I'm What happens very... when you get to 300? Um, I believe... Do panels open in the ceiling and balloons drop down? Well, I, I, I do hope so, and I, I, I also believe there should be a large cash reward coming from somewhere, though I have not been informed by whom just yet. Because the balloons thing happens in bowling, right? Does it? I don't know. I don't know. know. Well, I mean, I've seen it on TV, but then it makes me wonder, do they have to keep the ceilings permanently stocked with inflated balloons in case someone rolls a 300? How does that work? Maybe some of your listeners know. And what if no one's rolled a 300 in a while and the balloons are a bit, you know, lackluster? You know, that would be a shame. So Faded and dusty balloons kind of, it's like, man. Perhaps one of your listeners is a bowling expert and knows the answer. We'll have to get a Venn diagram of crossover of motorsport fans and bowling fans. And perhaps this is as good of a chance to get such a diagram as anyway. I mean, anyway. Corvette, Corvettes come from a place called Bowling Green. <laughs> there. Hey-o! It is Monday morning, August 16th, and John and I are going to be talking about IndyCar. More specifically, the races that happened in Nashville a week ago and then in Indianapolis just a couple days ago. Jonathan, where would you like to begin? Uh, let's start with Nashville. Well, lovely. Chronological. I love it. Yeah, that, why not? That, that felt more like a figure eight race than an actual IndyCar race to yeah, me. Yeah, it was, uh, I think I said it was very entertaining and it was a very bad motor race. Is yes. That a fair comment? Like, it was entertaining, uh, I, fun to watch, but... I was see. I was ready for you and I to have to debate here, but I think we're more aligned than I initially thought. Yeah, it, this was interesting to watch, but not a good representation of the talent pool and the racecraft that IndyCar provides. So it do you was, know who led? Do you know who led the most laps? Uh, Colton Herta. No, it was Oriol Servia in the pace car. Oh, <laughs> right. And how many – so Oriol Servia, former IndyCar driver and yep. current uh, – well, he's still involved with the sport, of course, and he was driving the pace car. And yes. what, was it eight, nine cautions for that race? Nine, nine cautions and I believe 33 laps in total. Jeez. And apparently Oriol Servia is a huge Salvador Dali fan. I remember well, from some IndyCar St. Pete broadcast a long time ago. I don't know why that fact remains in my mind, but but it does. but it's there, and yeah. she'll never she'll never be moved. Um, no, and think of all the things I could remember that would be valuable for my life. But instead, <laughs> that bit of memory is taken up with knowing that Oriol Servia apparently likes Salvador Dali. As I mean, long as the fact about Servia liking Salvador Dali does not replace things like anniversaries and birthdays of significant others. I, think I mean, it might have. Okay. How would I know? I'd, I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, the, I think what we're getting at here with what we're talking about just shows that this race just was not representative of what IndyCar can do. And it was a real shame because I can see where the this was the inaugural race at Nashville. Mm-hmm. And they were trying some different things. 
you know, there was novelty in racing over a bridge in two different directions, though. Oh, I and they some... mentioned that bridge a lot. Oh, they did. Uh, and I have some issues with that bridge on its own, but that's we can wait a minute for that. But you had some, you had a race that it reminded you. It reminded me of Cleveland a little bit for me when they would run at the airport, where you start in this super wide straightaway, and then just funnel down from like like a five to one ratio. You get like ten lanes wide. All of a sudden, you're going down to two lanes wide. Mm-hmm. And that causes that just causes crashes. So, it does. and IndyCar loves these kind of they love these streets. So, well, maybe it's not uh, in America because streets are often on the grid pattern. When you get a street circuit, often there's lots of like blind ninety degree corners, and this tends to be the result is they cause cautions and cautions breed cautions. On top they of do. that, I mean, um, the, let's talk about the. I mean, the track design, would you not have the little triangle bit at the end of where they turned round and came back over the bridge? Why wouldn't they just make that like a sweeping 180 degree hairpin? There was room to do that. You could just come bombing down off the bridge and have like a fast turn, come back around the other way. And also, I heard a good suggestion, which was next year they should move the start finish line. So it's just at the start of the bridge. And then maybe we wouldn't have so many massive wrecks on the restarts. Yeah, I, I, anything that affects that, I would be for because, uh, yeah, no. So to first answer your question, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Make the bridge two ends of one long, st- you know, just you know, bifurcate one nice long straightaway with a hairpin, and not a tight hairpin either. A wide, a wide hairpin. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Not a Long Beach hairpin, but no. just a nice big sweeping, tightish corner, more like. Uh, uh, well, turn 17 at Sebring is probably being too generous, but, you know, something along those lines. Maybe less bumpy. Perhaps less bumpy, or maybe not. Who knows? I, I mean, it's ironic, uh, but here's, here's – there was some good th- – I mean, we had a 28-car IndyCar field. That was brilliant. Mm-hmm. We had a really interesting mix of established stars of the sport, Scott Dixon, with young and young and even indeed rookies – there, Colton Herta, uh, Pato Award, those guys. Although I'm not actually, I might be mixing up my races now. Pato wasn't really in the mix in Nashville, was he? But no. it was a real nice combination of of people going on. But there is just the fundamental track design led to lots of cautions, and that's just ultimately not good racing. That's more of a circus act than yep. a motorsport race. It reminded me a lot of the Baltimore Grand Prix which we went to both years it was held here. And the second year worked out how to enjoy that race, which was you got a grandstand right next to a, right next to a bar. In this case, we, we picked a grandstand next to a bar called Pickles. And then because of that track design, there was a hairpin that there was guaranteed to be a caution on every restart. And there was. So the race <laughs> would go green for half a lap. Then there would be a caution because they'd be a big crash the hairpin. And we it was baking hot that day. We would go inside the bar. We'd have time for a beer. Uh, and then you'd have about 15 minutes, you'd finish a drink, and the race would be about to go green again. So you go outside, and you stand in the grandstand, and you watch them come around for another half lap, and they would crash again. And this felt a lot like that. That it was just <laughs> the track design, um, just, there's there are too many pinch points. Um, and the drivers go sometimes just go for moves that aren't there. And the result is then you have, then you just waste 
you know, five laps because you have to have a caution. You've got to close the pits. You've got to open the pits. And you've got to get the pace car. And you've got to field every, everyone to line up and all the rest of it. And it just, it, yeah. It, uh, well, and Nashville but, had a couple of especially bad pinch points where, uh, you know, uh, Will Power was getting awfully pushy in his race and causing, in one of his incidents, running into his teammate um, and causing a big, a, a literal pileup of Indy cars. I mean, I don't know in terms of how many people were actually crashed at that. Maybe it was just three or four, but there was a good eight cars stuck entering that one corner uh, at one, one point because in. Will because yep. Will Power kind of pushed um, pushed his teammate you know, basically into the barrier where he couldn't move, Simon Paginode. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, later that day, uh, a couple of Penske's took each other out in the um, the cup race at Watkins Glen as well. I wonder who got <laughs> a bigger shouting at by by the captain. Uh, I, well, I just think that captain's voice was hoarse in general. So yeah. it, it so was whoever got big, it first got more decibels probably. The one big crash early on, obviously, was probably Marcus Ericsson flying through the air. You think? That was a that was pretty spectacular. It was it was the most visually spectacular, absolutely. Um, Didn't but, ruin his race though, did it? Well, yeah, <laughs> and well, but see, before we get to that, I want to bring up something else because I think the two are connected. The other thing that really drove me nuts about the Nashville race was how incredibly slow the pace car was mr servia i don't know if it was his fault or if it was the trail track layout or what but to me it seems all but unacceptable that the drivers can enter the pits under a yellow flag have their pit stop service and almost come out ahead of the pace car oh, i mean okay. it was Hang it on. was yards apart it was it was so- that was insane so you didn't really want to talk about Formula E, and I'm not really going to talk about Formula E, except to say that not at this week's weekend's races in Berlin, but at the previous two rounds, which were held in London, Lucas Degrassi won a race very briefly because they took his race win away from him because they, they worked out that you could go into the pits when the safety car came out. And as long as you come to a complete stop in the pit lane and then get going again, you could technically beat the pace car out of the pits, which he did. Wow. Um, wow. But then, then they decided that the officials looked at it and they said that he hadn't come to enough. He, he basically he did a California stop. And he should have come to a complete halt for more than a fraction of a millisecond. Uh, and so they did not allow him to keep that win, which is probably good because it would be a little bit farcical. And yes, I think the idea of, you know, this goes back to, I remember in 1994, when Schumacher got a penalty in a race, maybe it was 95, he got a drive-through, and it was 95, and he served the drive-through on the final lap because he knew that the start-finish line was before he reached his pit stop. And so he actually finished the race before he got to his pit service penalty. And I remember <laughs> being outraged about that. At the day. How is that? How is that fair or legal? I mean, obviously, I was a Damon Hill fan at the time, so, you know, felt aggrieved. But, yeah, uh, shenanigans to win races by driving through the pit lane should not be encouraged. It's bad for the sport. No, it's not. I mean, this this is not top-tier motor racing, That uh, no. just bluntly put. And I think that when you have such a bizarre circumstance with yellows the way they are and... Uh, 
you know, the pit stop being configured such a way that you can lose so little time taking a pit stop. That is how we saw how Marcus Erickson, who uh, slammed into the back. Now, who did he slam into the back of? To, uh, Sebastian. That, oh, it Bourdais, was uh, it? it was uh, uh, Bourdais, wasn't it? Yeah. Sebastian Bourdais. <laughs> Slams into the back of Bourdais, uh, into the back of Bourdais' car. Takes Bourdais out. His car's done. Mm-hmm. And then... Erickson's car is somehow fine, and he goes on to win the race. Marcus Erickson is now a two-time IndyCar winner after rear-ending someone. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy for Marcus Erickson, and to his credit, Marcus Erickson did apologize to Bourdais, took, the, took blame for it. But at the same time, that in of itself just made it seem more silly, did it not? I'm more tolerant to it now, given how many times in recent months lewis hamilton seems to have won a race after a similar tragedy befalls him and someone else or incident uh, <laughs> is this is no, this a lewis britain can, mentioning huh? the british grand prix in I'm, an indirect way yes but i'm not but i'm not doing it because i'm you know lewis hamilton uber alice but i'm just saying the fact that lewis you know can get a stop go and then still win the race has kind of conditioned me to the fact that yeah you you might be able to get a penalty because you did something wrong um well, and you just, might to, still win. just to be clear, he didn't get a stop go. He got a 10-second penalty, because, which he served right, yeah. in, in his pit stop. Yes, because it was a racing incident, but it was his fault. So that's fine. That's fair. Well, two into one doesn't go. Anyway, back to IndyCar. So what about Colton Herter? Because should he have won this race? That He, was, he looked Untouchable. to be in a different category than any, mm-hmm. anybody else, except for, and this, is, this was the other part that Marcus Erickson was you have to give him credit here. Uh, he had what I can only presume was a low downforce setup, which also meant a low drag setup. So Marcus Erickson carried tremendous speed going into the straights of the Nashville race. And Colton Herta, even with push to pass, which is an extra 50 horsepower, couldn't get around Erickson on the straights. And then a big chunk of the track was quite narrow and extremely difficult to pass. And in the couple of places that Colton Herta found places to pass other people, it just didn't work on Erickson. He was good. Herta was good, good getting past pretty much everyone else, though. I mean, he, he was able to overtake in corners that no one else would even consider. Exactly right. Yeah. So Erickson deserves credit, I believe, for, for that part of it. Sure. And, and, I mean, the reason Herta didn't win is because he put it in the wall himself. So, you know, it was a commanding performance until he made a mistake, unfortunately. Are you sure Will Power wasn't there? Like, maybe, <laughs> or maybe he was on the other side. Or so, I, I feel like Will Power had to be involved somehow. I would like to see Colton Herter and Max Verstappen in the same cars racing. And not, <laughs> not, not, not their own cars, but, you know, put have in radicals or smart cars or, I don't know, something. Yeah, like maybe a Renault Clio or something. Yeah. Or, I don't know, uh, Corvettes. I don't care. Just, like, maybe different cars from the ones they'd normally drive as their day jobs. But I would like yeah, to Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. IROC. I Let's say IROC. We should bring back IROC. But anyway, I wonder who would win. Uh, well, and you know what would be fun is if we had Brian Herta and Jos Verstappen. Oh, there you calling, go. That's even better. Yeah. Yeah. And they it's were both stupid. calling the races for their kids. Or... Or you have Brian Herter and, and, and Jos Verstappen racing each other, and you have the kids on the pit wall. <laughs> right. Battle of the dads. Yes, yes, yes. A, a dad off. The uh, 
Yeah, it was interesting. So Colton clearly was the quickest driver, and he was overcoming all these cautions. He had good he had good restarts, generally speaking. He could overtake when he had to overtake, when he had the pit stops. You know, we'll get into that a little bit. But then he was getting frustrated as he was chasing Marcus Erickson and ended up putting himself in the wall, took himself out of the race, which made it uh, Marcus Erickson winning, Scott Dixon finishing second, and um, an, old, an oldie but a goodie, James Hinchcliffe, rounding out the podium. So it was... It was an interesting result, a diverse result, and it was a fantastic result championship-wise for Scott Dixon. And uh, it seemed to be a race that Nashville enjoyed, but uh, boy. Not just necessarily like, for the right reasons. Exactly. That's right. I think that's how a good you, way to how, say it. How would you judge uh, hometown boy Joseph Newgarden? Well, he just had I, terrible luck. I mean, I forget exactly, but he had a, like a tie rod end issue. His car mm-hmm. was, I mean, he, his car was on the crab the entire race. There was not, a lap one incident. Not, not a great year for him, is it? No, not a great year for Penske. I mean, you know, we'll, we now, you know, we'll skip ahead for a moment here. Penske has won two races this year, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, uh, Chip Ganassi racing is, is um, crushing it compared I mean, to Penske I, so- and, 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 and Andretti Autosport for that matter. I mean, you could argue that now that Roger Penske owns IndyCar, that every win is a Penske win. You could. I don't think he would. <laughs> no, I don't think he would either. <laughs> but, uh, and I don't think it's like when Bernie Eccleston took control of F1 while still owning Brabham. I don't think it's, you know, he's disinterested in the team and he's more interested in running IndyCar. But Penske sometimes has off years, you know. Was it 95, the year that they failed to, to make get any cars into the 500? I, I oh well I mean, the year he had a sweeping win in ninety four because yeah, ninety four was the year they had that Ilmore pushrod the Ilmore pushrod yeah. engine right where the pushrods were whatever centimeter long or whatever and so it was uh, the following year they didn't qualify yeah I mean Penske sometimes has off years and yeah and also I mean you can look race to race um, at the duel in Detroit uh, New Garden was very strong in race one had it in, had something happen to him that uh, ruined his race. Race two, uh, Will Power looked to be in control. Then there was that late race red flag, and the way the heat soaking of the engine happened, he couldn't restart the engine. Um, and then uh, New Garden did finally break through and get a win. I believe that was Road America. Was that mm-hmm. no? I think, I think so. I think so. There's been lots of times that Penske cars have been there, just results. So it's just as you say, it's an off year. And one thing I do want to point out here, according to... No, he won Mid-Ohio. Oh, was it Mid-Ohio? Okay, yes. According to IndyCar, Marcus Erickson led 37 laps. So uh, he did lead oh, more laps okay. in Oriel Servia, oh. if only just. <laughs> so, I stand corrected. But anyway, I mean, it was, a, it was a great race for Erickson and a good race for Dixon, a great result for Hinchcliffe and Ryan hunter Ray. Graham uh, Ray Hall was in the top, top five. Alex, Alex Palou, uh, Palau, Palau, he, he did well to recover because he had a pretty pretty ho-hum race. He started ninth, finished seventh. So, no, I'm sorry. He started, yeah, he started ninth, finished seventh. And um, also, uh, Elio Castroneves, first race um, back in any car other than the 500, top 10 result, finishing ninth. Uh, great return for him. 
And um, were there any other standout performances? Oh, and we should uh, Joseph Newgarden did end up finishing tenth. Were there any other standout performances from Nashville that uh, you want to point out? No, nothing springs immediately to mind. So that then takes us to this bizarre triple header slash double header NASCAR IndyCar collaboration happening at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course totally at home for the IndyCars, a bit more foreign for NASCAR. And that was an adult race with adults racing. I want to start right there. That was a proper that was a proper race there. Even and even though you're a, even though you wished I, I know you the fact that IndyCar was the first race on the bill did not sit entirely happily with you, did it? I un, I understand the reality that in the United States, NASCAR is still more popular than IndyCar. Even though the momentum is going IndyCar's way, we're still it's still pretty lopsided. But the fact that oh, NASCAR's hang on. that's Nashville. The one other thing I should mention about Nashville, oh yeah, please really go ahead. Place, was the TV share was really good. Apparently, that was their best cable race uh, in years. Um, best race that wasn't the Indy 500. I think it was like 1.2 million people watched it, which is a lot of people still. Yeah, and 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 for, I'm I'm very happy for that. But I'm even a little bit more sad that it was the show that it was. Yeah, because all, all those new viewers now think this is IndyCar. Yeah, exactly right. And that's not what I want. But it is for the good. Hopefully, there'll be a chunk of those people that stay and it continues to grow. Um, so, But anyway, back to Indianapolis. So it's not that Cup got the primetime slot on Sunday that bothered me so much. It's that IndyCar raced before the Xfinity Series, which is... Uh, the second tier of NASCAR racing. Now, NASCAR is a bit bizarre in the sense that a lot of NASCAR Cup drivers also race in Xfinity. So mm-hmm. it's like it F1 would be as if used to race in F two. Exactly, and it, it, I was just going to say it would be as if Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi and the, all those guys also raced in Indy Lights. But the fact that Xfinity was later in the day Saturday and. IndyCar was the opening act. That was frustrating, especially when that was okay. IndyCar put this together. Okay, I'll tell you why I think that was okay, and and the reason is, if did you watch qualifying on Friday? I, I did not. Sorry, I missed okay. that. Qualifying on Friday was they they might as well have been driving on an ice rink because hmm. qualifying happened late in the day um, after NASCAR had been practicing all day and. When race cars practice on a track all day, they cover it in rubber. And the thing is... In their rubber, yes. Yeah, in their rubber. And the NASCAR, they run on five, uh, Bridgestones, Firestones, Goodyears, I don't know. I, they, they, they well, they run, run on, they run on tires. They use They, they run use on tires, tires that do not, are not the same rubber compound as the tires that IndyCar uses. Um, and so during, during qualifying, um, there was very little grip out there until really until the 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 fast 12 um you know because it takes a while to clean up you know the first cars that go up have to basically peel off all of the nascar rubber that's stuck to stuck to the track and then the next group go out and you know they leave some rubber there and finally the track rubbered in so i think the reason i think it was a smart move to do indycar as the first race the following day because you know the last session was their qualifying I don't think there was a warm-up for NASCAR before the IndyCar race. And so IndyCar then got to race on its own rubber 
they didn't have that problem of you know well there, there was a problem i don't know if you you know you might have noticed there were huge chunks of marbles being flung up you know here and there and at the end of yes. the race people's yes. tires were, were absolutely covered in clag i think if indycar had run after xfinity we would have had a much more chaotic race because i think the there would have been lots more nascar rubber down on the track and that doesn't play well with the indycar rubber and it would have been a mess so that's my that's my devil's advocacy no and it's funny because that was going to be the one thing i was going to say that's it's it, it so it's extreme it's perfectly apropos i was like okay the one thing i can think of is that perhaps it was letting IndyCar have a relatively clean track and then nascar rubber is laid down and then it's not to be messed with but I would still much prefer if it was just Cup and IndyCar right. and then support series otherwise and let the support series do the cleaning in between uh, in between NASCAR and IndyCar. You know, throw some Porsche Super Cup cars on there. Mm-hmm. Let's get an Indy Lights race in there. Uh, you know, things things of that nature. Um, I would, you know, you know SRO really could do. come out and run some GT4 cars, things like that. Yeah, you know what they should really do? They should do a GT4 race for invited journalists. I haven't had Ooh. one of those in a while. What, what a good yes. idea. Get a whole bunch, yes. of, whole bunch of journalists and throw them in race cars for a 10-lap race and see what happens. And, hey, you and I could come we and could. we could meet each other in person for the first time finally. That'd be great. Wouldn't that be lovely? That'd <laughs> be, be marvelous. <laughs> How would I know if it was you if you had your helmet on? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's a good point. I'll make a big arrow and write the word Robin on my racing suit. So my helmet will be a big arrow, and my racing suit will say Robin on it. And then you do the same, cool. and it'll be lovely. And then when we see each other not at a race, we'll get to meet each other yet again. For the first time. <laughs> For the first time. Uh, some inside humor. But anyway. Yeah. Um, that joke's probably much funnier if you're you and me, and much less funny if you're anyone who but, isn't us. hey, right now it's only – I can only hear you right now, John, so it's as far as I'm concerned – um, you know, so you mentioned so since you said Arrow, uh, and that reminds yes. me about Arrow McLaren. How that Pato Award deserves some credit for uh, amazing pole lap that he threw in there right at the end. Yeah, to, I, to, I think to snatch pole surprised pole. everyone really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I it was an impressive pole lap for him to start on pole. I mean, he's been he's been impressive generally speaking enough. So I mean, he got a race win and he's going to get some seat time in a Formula One car as a result. Mm-hmm. What do you make it, of the fact that uh, um, McLaren has increased its ownership stake in the IndyCar team? Oh, Jonathan, I could kiss you were it not for COVID protocol and 500 miles of distance between us. Um, Thank goodness for COVID protocols and 500 miles of distance. <laughs> the, it, that, that is the perfect opportunity to talk about the article I wrote on funwithcars.com about exactly that. McLaren Racing, the owners of the McLaren Formula One team um, run by Zach Brown, just put in a new agreement with um, Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport of the Aero McLaren SP team to take on a 75% ownership role of Aero McLaren. And uh, and, uh, Zach Brown is now going to be the chairman of a five-person board. Three people of that board will be McLaren Racing people. The other two people will be Sam Schmidt and Rick Peterson. And so this goes on to show that Zach Brown has a interest in expanding McLaren. And I think the reason it was done, if you want my honest opinion about the primary reason it was done, 
is I think Zach wants to be able to make bigger partnership deals, sponsorship deals for McLaren Racing full stop. Mm-hmm. And if he has an IndyCar team in addition to his Formula One team, it's easier for him to make bigger deals mm-hmm. that can apply on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, I think that that's the sense. number one reason that it was done. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. And I don't think it hurts that McLaren wouldn't mind selling a few more McLaren road cars here in the U.S. And just bluntly speaking, IndyCar has more has more nose visibility than IMSA, you know, aside mm-hmm. from 24 hours of Dana, Daytona, perhaps. So, yeah, that's fair. So it's, to, it's, to, it's a marketing arm for McLaren road cars and, and a McLaren's chance to make really... big sponsorship deals for McLaren racing. And they're actually that they're only even a part-time competitor in, in IMSA. Cause there is sometimes a GT three McLaren that shows up in GTD, right? But it's not a full-time car. Yeah. 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 That's right. And also, I mean, you know, Zach Brown, you know, he owns separately from McLaren. He also owns United Autosports, which is a UK based UK based sports car team that also races in IMSA, 24 hours of Daytona, Petit Le Mans, those kinds of marquee races. And I think he just loves the idea of being tied to like all the major motorsports across the world. I think there's, I don't, I think that, uh, you'd be wrong to completely rule out ego in this equation as well. He's uh, actually quite impressed with the job he's doing. I was a little, I was a, I thought it was a little sketchy that he was still in charge of, didn't he run a whole, he was in charge of like, wasn't he in charge of motorsport.com? He's left, he left them finally, I think, but he was in a role that like he was overseeing a whole bunch of the motorsport press, which I think was a conflict That's possible. I, I, but I, I don't I, know I, one way or the other that one. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago now that he left that, I think, and said, realized that, yeah, you can't probably run a whole bunch of race teams and then also be responsible for <laughs> all the journalists that are writing about them. But, <laughs> That's um, right. But anyway, let's get back to IndyCar. For the IndyCar road course race, I thought that IndyCar put on a good show. It was a good mix of professionals racing and racing action. Um, Will Power had a strong pass against Award in the first third of the race. To it was not the lead at the moment because we were in the middle of uh, pit cycles. But so Pato it was led effect- the first fifteen laps, right? That's right. And then, and, well, yeah. And then the pit window opened quite early because Scott Dixon, who had the opposite of a Pato Award qualifying session, mm-hmm. you know, he qualified something like twenty sixth or something because he had. Good. He spun right towards the end of his session, which not only ruled out that lap, but also uh, deleted his previous previous quick lap. Yes, so he, he brought was out, mired yes, down he, in the back. Uh, it wasn't a great qualifying session for Dixon, but you know, I mean, you could start him from the pit lane; he'd still find a way to win half the races he enters. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the strategy of uh, Chip Ganassi racing, Chip Ganassi racing, and the ability for Scott Dixon to save fuel and or save tires when needed and to think strategically through a race, that combination is extremely powerful. And this has not been a great year for Scott Dixon, to put it bluntly. You know, usually he's all he's also always fighting for at the front. And the, this the year trouble? he's really been struggling against some of the new young guns, Pato mm-hmm. Award, um, Alex Palau, uh, Colton Herta, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that, that's the trouble. If you have a bumper crop of, you know, new young drivers who are coming in and winning races, and they are, you know, and you've got Marcus Ericsson and Roman Groschon over from, from F1, and 
you know, there's a lot of talent in the field now and you can only have one winner each race. And, you know, if we have a whole lot of other people winning races, that means by definition, you know, old hands like Scott Dixon and Will Power aren't winning races every weekend because only one person can come first. And yet Uh, he's still third in the championship, still mm -hmm. very much in the hunt to take his seventh championship. He was second in the championship after Nashville. It was only this disastrous spin that really, I mean, there were his chances of retaining second in the championship were quite good until that last, that late qualifying spin. So, you know, he's still right there, despite Mm -hmm. all those things you just said that are all very true. So, but triggering the early pit stops didn't, I mean, that strategy didn't necessarily work out for him because he only finished 17th. True. But he also, you're right about that, but he also started 26th. So, yes, you know, it, it, he definitely he definitely moved in the right direction, and and I I think that was something that uh, guys like uh, Ryan Hunter Ray and Scott Dixon um, can appreciate is the fact that Will Power won this race. You know, he's he's one of the forty something. Did you just give away the in ending? the car field? You just gave away the ending. Did I? I thought we were building Did- up to that. Oh, well, we, uh, I am, uh, I'm a terrible with spoilers, sir. Okay. I apologize. So Will Power won the race, which is a, <laughs> which is a good result for Penske because they, that's a good result for Will Power's car. That's his first win. Well, it's first, certainly his first win this season. No, it was, it's, it's his first uh, win in a couple of years. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, that must be, yeah. uh, must've helped. And what did you think of, uh, Roman's, uh, finishing second? So we've raced at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course twice this year. And both times, Ramon finished second. Um, uh, yep. He, la- uh, this last time around, he started on pole, lost a place to finish second. This time, he started third, gained a place to finish second. So he's he's very comfortable right in the front, likes, but not quite there. He says he likes the place because it reminds him of of F one circuits, which I mean, it would do. It's one of I mean, it originally was an F one circuit, so yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of only two Grade One circuits in the in in the whole country you ask me it's where f1 should race instead of miami because no one wants to, no one in miami wants to see a race whereas people but in what? indianapolis do hold on do want to see no gentlemen what if they race over a bridge huh? well i think huh? uh, yeah uh wasn't you know the original plan for that race was going to involve racing over a bridge from miami to like miami beach now it's going to be in again. a in a in a freaking parking lot yeah. listen if, if you want if you want to get into that i am very, very lukewarm about that coming event. This is, mm-hmm. it's another Dallas. It's yep. another Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it's not at all oh, what Formula I, One should be doing. What they not. had, what they had for the New York Grand Prix in New Jersey with the Manhattan skyline in the background, that would have been, that would have been properly good. Going up that promenade, you were talking about how all U.S. cities are made of grid patterns. Mm-hmm. Well, the, what they carved out in, in New Jersey was not at all that. But, and but really the what they should too, have done, by the way. But they, yeah, but they really what they should have done is just gone back to Indianapolis because there's a concentration of race fans in that part of the country and they want to see racing. And there's already a stadium that's built or a racetrack and it's got grandstands and it's got, there are hotels there and there's an airport and it worked. It was a great F1 race in the early 2000s with the exception, obviously, of 2005. There Why, is what another, happened there, in 2005? Kidding! Uh, joke! Just a joke. <laughs> Were you there that year? No, I, my my very first IndyCar, Indy uh, my very first in Formula One event 
was in Indianapolis in 2007. That was the first time I saw a Formula One live. So I was a late bloomer in that sense. I think there is an answer to having good temporary street circuits, though. And this one might might be also before your time. But in 2002, IMSA had a race in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you remember this. So not They laid Baltimore. out a track. It was also, no, not Baltimore. It was also a parking lot track. And actually, it was really good because the track was 80 feet wide the entire two and a half miles. Wow. And that meant you could race properly because there were no really tight choke points. But the people of Washington, D.C., this was before I moved here, did not take to the race. It lasted one year and it was gone. Um, and then a few years later, they used the same parking lot at RFK Stadium for Red Bull Global Rallycross, which was okay. But I want them to bring back the IMSA race because I would like an IMSA race on my front door. Um, so if the powers that be could make that happen. Anyway, that's the answer. Not tight street circuits with 90 degree <laughs> corners that are only wide enough for one and a bit cars to go through. Yeah, right. Yes. But okay, so now we have... Um... We had the willpower result. Uh, Scott Dixon is now back to third in the championship. Um, the well, leader of that you... championship remains Alex Palau, despite the fact of... that he had an engine failure late in the uh, Indianapolis race. That was the first time I remember an IndyCar engine going having a failure like that in a while. They're not very common, Indy- in- engine failures. Like well, that. that engine has been with us for uh, maybe not a full decade, but close to. Mm-hmm. And... It was I, I'm I'm trying to get my year straight because there's some overlap with um, the big Formula One rules change, um, and everything was delayed by a year. But IndyCar is getting new engines as well, and they're getting a horsepower pump. They're you know we're going to get closer to around 900 horsepower. And but some I hybrid, think, I think. It, with with a hybrid, so instead of a 50 horsepower power boost, it's going to be a hybrid based power boost. Yeah. And what is uh, when that's coming, I don't remember if it was originally 21 delayed to 22 or originally 22 delayed to 23, something along those lines. But IndyCar is getting an, a big boost in power and the hybrid passing technology. And um, 2023. The point, okay, so there you go. But the point is, is that these engines have been with us for a long, long time, which has given uh, Honda and Chevrolet the chance to ring the necks out of them for performance and have a really good understanding of durability. So so the current 2.2 liter engines have been in place since 2012, apparently. And then in 2023, they're staying as twin turbo V6s, but they increase capacity to 2.4 liters. Um, and yes, 900 horsepower is the goal. Yeah. And it, it 900 horsepower will probably be, it'll probably make, it'll probably be more than that. I think officially... These are 750 horsepower, but they're probably, you know, better parts of 800 by now. And still no power steering, I hope. Yeah, exactly. I I definitely hope that's the case. I think that IndyCar, you know, I think IndyCar has a fantastic balance of technology and downforce levels and performance. So what about that Christian Lundgaard? Danish driver. Interesting last name. His debut, he had a fantastic run, you have to say, to just be jumped in, to jump into this level of racing and be in the thick of it in the mid-pack, mid mm-hmm. you have to give him credit. Even even led a couple of laps, finished 12th, which is not bad. Totally agree. He, uh, he, he maintained and he was, he was in the top 10 for a, a good chunk of it. I, where did he qualify? Fourth, is that right? I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. so... 
he 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 had a he had a great great run, and uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to see Europeans coming in, in coming to IndyCar and mixing it up. I love the fact that we have uh, Japanese driver in Kumisato, lots of different Europeans mixing it with a lot of great Americans as well. So you know, Alexander Rossi, Joseph Newgarden, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So this, uh, this might Herta, be the last year. Might be, might be Taku's last year in F1 in uh, IndyCar. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Don't think he's re-signed for. Um, for Andre, for uh, Ray, Ray Hall, Hall Letterman. Yeah, Ray Hall. Yeah. Um, who knows? Might see him in sports car racing or not. Maybe he'll just retire. Well, he's had a great run. He's won the Indianapolis 500 twice. He's, uh, he's won a few IndyCar races, quite a few IndyCar races. He's had, he's had a great career and he's, uh, he's in a very appreciative driver for the opportunities he's had. And he's got a really interesting background. He did not start go-karting at five years old or whatever. Nope. He was a he was a bicycling national yep. champion. And I don't think he got into cars until he was in his late teens or even his twenties. So um, very, very late teens, I think was yeah. when he, so, he did that. Super interesting, is, super interesting career. When he uh when he races in the States, he lives with his manager for like for the season. Wow. Then, so his family <laughs> stay in Japan and then when he comes over to the States, basically he spends five months living in his manager's spare room. As opposed to like you know buying his own house, that's funny. Not too different from uh, Roman Grosjean, who you know basically lives in his RV when he's in the states. So he thanks, thanks Lee Diffie. I if it's a good thing that I wasn't drinking shots every time Lee Diffie brought up Romain Grosjean's RV. <laughs> if I was, I would be drunk. Probably before the start of the race, he he liked bringing that up in the commentary. Well, okay, fair enough. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that I waited until now to bring it up myself. In that case, but uh, yeah, you know, he, I I interviewed uh, Roman when he was in Detroit, and lovely, lovely gentleman, and very open. And I thought it was just a really l- wonderful moment that after finishing on the podium, uh, he was met by his three kids and his wife. Um, to congratulate him. So he's very much the family man. So he just, you know, his personality fits IndyCar so much better than it fits Formula One. Because I hope he wins a race this year. I mean, he's on the cusp. And, you know, he's already, I believe he's going to be competing in the Oval Race next week. Yes, he's so, racing Gateway. Yeah, so he's going to be at Gateway. He's now, he's dipping his toes into Oval Racing. He is in talks of doing a full season of IndyCar next year, including the Indianapolis 500. And that's despite the fact that Roger Penske is saying he wants to get more ovals in the mix. He wants closer to a 50-50 bounce, which I personally don't agree with, but whatever. Um, uh, Penske, Roger, if you're listening, you've now heard my two cents. Um, but, uh, you know, Grosjean is 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 going all into IndyCar and um, I certainly hope that he has a positive experience at Gateway because I think drivers like Roman, real, regardless of nationality, drivers like Roman are exactly what IndyCar needs as a sport. So speaking about drivers who are who originally said they didn't want to race ovals and now are changing their minds, how are we, how are we ranking Jimmy Johnson's second half of his season? He, uh, he finished 19th in this race. He, yeah. uh, he, he did not qualify last. He did not qualify last. He qualified within six or seven tenths of his teammates. So, I mean, there's pro- he's making progress. I think it's, a, you know, I think it shows that really you need seat time in these cars. And as much as you can get, 
Yeah, the the most bizarre thing to me about this whole Jimmy Johnson thing is why he's not participating in the ovals. I bet you there was an insurance reason. I mean, I I think it's the same reason that, you know, Mike Conway said he wasn't going to do ovals and, um, you know, Grosjean originally said he wasn't going to do ovals. Um, unfortunately, oval in, ov- racing Indy cars on ovals is, is, is dangerous, you know, compared to so it's, level it's, it's the difference series. of being in, an, in a cup car, you're surrounded by a metal cage to protect right. you and right. in any car you're not. Yeah. I mean, that's I, what you, you know, think. I, yeah. The, I mean, the reason I think Johnson didn't want to do ovals and Grosjean didn't want to do ovals and Mike Conway didn't want to do ovals is Dan Weldon and Justin Wilson, unfortunately, you know, that's, that's, that's yeah. the problem IndyCar has. Yeah. Well, and Greg Moore before them. And Greg yeah. Moore. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, I of course. Absolutely right. And I mean, and also, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, uh, my, uh, Michael Andretti's brother, Jeff Andretti, mm-hmm. you know, broke both his legs really badly. And that was not, didn't end his life, but it ended his career. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of examples like that. But I mean, you know, there's, oh, there's, there's examples on the cup side as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think that's, I think that's probably why. And I, I, my guess is I bet you there was an insurance aspect to it too. Whereas, you know, where maybe his insurers were like, well, why don't you just do the safer races this year? We'll, we'll talk about whether or not we'll let you do the ovals. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's more difficult for me to, to wrap my head around the Jimmy Johnson one since his entire career was racing ovals. I understand the difference in car, but it's a, it's a, it's a much smaller jump um, to racing ovals in any car, racing ovals in NASCAR compared to never doing anything other than a road course your entire life and then jumping in ovals in an Indy car. Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, and I also do. it would be the chance for Jimmy Johnson to shake off a little bit of this bad juju that he's building up so, so quickly with his desperate performances. I mean, and he's got more support than anyone could ever hope for. He's got racing legend, Scott Pruitt coaching mm-hmm. him at each race. Now he's, I mean, and he's just been mired in the back. He did IMSA races leading up to any car arrest. He had tons of any car testing. So yeah, it takes a long time to build up to, it takes a long time to build up to speed in an Indy car coming from a different discipline. And I have tons of respect for Jimmy Johnson for making the attempt, but mm-hmm. he's had a good, good long time now. And it's, he's still just now getting to the back of competitive. Do you know what I mean? It's just barely. I do know what you mean. I'm prepared to give him this year, but I think next year I do need to see some top 10 finishes for this to be worthwhile. But then again, but then again, I, I suppose the counter alternative to that or the counter example is Kimi Raikkonen. You know, Kimi Raikkonen turns up at each F1 race, knows he's probably not going to get points. I don't think he even cares. I think he just wants to drive an F1 car on track for a couple of hours, you know, 21 times a year. Uh, and that job lets him do that. Sometimes he can have a race. Sometimes he can't. Maybe that's maybe that's where Jimmy Johnson's thinking of. You know, I just want to race something fun on the weekends. But then maybe you think if that was all he was after, he could go do spec Miata. <laughs> I think he. I think he could prove competitive there. I think I'm you know, sure give, give some time and enough testing. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's it's hard one. There, there is a lot of inherent respect for what he's done. But at the same time, just as you said, it's like, okay, if 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 next year is just inching closer to being a little bit better as opposed to a big leap forward, that's going to be tough to swallow. 
It is. Because he's also, I mean, is he, he's, I don't know how old he is exactly, he's but he's, he's got to be in his 40s think, by now. Yeah, I think he's my age. Well, and, and so when I was at, when I was in Detroit and I was interviewing people, I had an interview with uh, Scott Dixon. And in that interview, Johnson was nowhere, I mean, Scott Dixon was in the mix, you know, championship contender, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone wanted to talk to Jimmy Johnson. That was where all the reporters were going. Mm-hmm. And I went to uh, Ganassi's PR guy. Said, "Hey, I'm here for my Scott Dixon interview," and you could see it. He was just relieved that someone didn't want to talk to Jimmy Johnson. You could just say, great, yeah, this way. Do you know what I mean? It was just uh, so. Um, Jimmy Kenneth Johnson, according to Wikipedia, was born September 17th, 1975. Oh, he's uh, yeah, four months older than me. Anyway, so we've got a few races coming up. We've got the. Uh, We've got the Bomberado Automotive Group 500, as it is mm-hmm. called, the Gateway Race. And then we've got a few weeks off. It is September 12th that IndyCar heads to the West Coast going for the Grand Prix of Portland. Week after, they're going to Laguna Seca. Thank God. Really excited for that one. Mm-hmm. And then finally, a week later, they close out the season at Long Beach. They do. So Which... Portland and then two races in California. What are you looking forward to for those well, upcoming races? Originally, I was... Uh, I... Originally, I was looking forward to maybe going to Long Beach because I've still not been to that race, and Elle and I were thinking about going to attend. But I think this year it's probably wise to stay home. So uh, I'm just looking forward to close racing. I'd quite like to see if Pags could get a win between now and the end of the year. I'm not sure where that's going to happen because, again, he's also not having the best of seasons, but uh, he's a good driver and a nice guy. So I'd like to see that bright yellow car do well. Yeah, uh, Simon Pagenode is just... He's just a consummate gentleman, and um, and he was one of those guys that just he just kept slugging along in racing. You know, mm-hmm. made his way into U.S. racing, did sports car racing for a while, made his way to IndyCar, made his way to Penske, and long, just kept at time. it, kept at it. Became an Indy 500 champion and a 2016 uh, IndyCar champion. So, mm-hmm. just a great, great story. Of course, we also have the 24 Hours of Le Mans coming up next week. That is a very yeah, it's big thing. Weird. It's bizarre that it's not it's, in June. Yeah, but, but last year was in last year was what September? Yes, or August. I yeah, it's. I mean, at least so the Corvettes will be there this year. Yay! Um, GTLM is still looking a bit empty, um, and it's the first year of hypercar in the top category. So really, I guess it's a Glickenhaus v. Toyota race. Maybe Alpine and Rebellion. I'm, well, I'm quite curious to see how the Glickenhaus car gets on. Uh, you know, it's that's that's a that's very much that's like 1970s Formula One. All I will say team. about that program is it's now time for them to start delivering some results on the track, as opposed to just being rude to people on social media, because they've got the trolling aspect and the you know punchy, um, pugnacious trash talking bit down so let's see some actual results to back that up <laughs> uh, there's there's your uh, there's your keen advice from uh the great <laughs> i'm not Jonathan sure jim lickenhouse needs or wants any advice from me and he may never even hear it but anyway there we go there you go but um, what's the next well, f1 race the next f1 race is the week after 24 hours of Le Mans, and that is at spa the end of the Woo. month, and uh, that's going to be an interesting return because we had a very interesting Hungarian uh, Grand Prix. So, um, yeah, the uh, we had a little bit of downtime here with Formula One taking a break, and you know I decided to take a week off and do these two IndyCar races together. You but yeah, big time. 
Uh, but you know, there's lots of racing going to August, and then September is going to be quite busy. And then October, we'll, we'll be focusing in on Formula One because IndyCar will be done. 24 hours of them all will be long over. And uh, I don't think any other racing exists ever, right? Yeah, that's it. So, um, of course, there is Petit Le Mans, things like that here at IMSA. Anyway, um, diverging one last time, I want to tell you about the latest YouTube video I did. It was a very good one. All my videos are great, of course. What did you drive this time? The 2021 Honda Civic Type R Limited Edition. That or so good. Type R LE, if you're in the know. And... The lo- uh, the last time I had a Type R to test, that was the last car that made me decide, yeah, you know what? I will actually spend two hours driving out to Shenandoah at four o'clock in the morning just so I can spend <laughs> like the next two hours driving up and down a bunch of really twisty roads before the yeah. traffic shows up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the limited edition is quite good. You know, they they took 22 pounds out of the... Uh, out of, of unsprung weight out of the car with lighter wheels and I guess indeed lighter tires and then another 28 pounds in addition to that to make the car 50 pounds lighter in whole. That would make up for the 28 pounds that I've gained since I drove that car thanks to COVID. There you go. Thank goodness for Honda then, I suppose. And it, the car has a weight to power ratio of 10 to 1 even as opposed to 10.2 to 1 for a standard type R and Wait, it's kind of a... Like, who um, talks about weight to power ratios? That's backwards. I do. It, well, that's mm. what it is. is that that is what engineer? it is. It, yes. Yes. Factually accurate. That's how us engineers go. Mm. So anyway, but that is it for now. And I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Ah, Jonathan Gettlins, it's just lovely having a conversation with you. Thank you for joining. It's been fun. Thanks, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.